Hey, hey, welcome in to another episode of Stub Me Down. My name is JW, and of course, I am here with my best friend Skinny, who I know is sitting on his suitcase, anxiously awaiting our trip up to New York for the April New Year's run by Fish. And actually, Skinny, I am a little bit surprised that you are not sitting in your hotel room already. Say hello to the people, my friend. (laughs) I know. (laughs) That's actually pretty good, man. I'm just a little tiny wave, man, a minor ripple in the uh, podcast sea. (laughs) And I have my bags packed and my shoes ready. And uh, I don't really like score outfits together. I just put a bunch of shit in the bag and then my wife yells at me because I don't have what I need. (laughs) We're super excited, man. It's going to be amazing. I bring a broad spectrum of t-shirts and hats and how the combinations come together is uh, a little bit organic, you know? It depends on, on what my mood is that particular day of the show. So I can't wait. We are going to have a great time up in New York City, and it's been a long time coming. I can't wait to see you up there. It'll be nice to see you in person because we've been doing this mostly remotely. So yeah, um, very cool that that is on the horizon. And then shit, man, I mean, summer tour's not, not too far beyond that. So we get a nice little spring taste of fish before the main course in the summertime. On the last episode of Stummy Down Skinny, man, that was a lot of fun. We had author Peter Connors join us to talk about his new book that just came out called Merch Table Blues. And Peter talked a little bit about his career as a writer. And he also stubbed us down on an oldie but a goodie as far as the fish catalog is concerned. We took a look at Arrowhead Ranch from July 20th, 1991. A great show that we had talked a little bit about when Carl Gearhart from the Giant Country Horns joined us to talk about the Horns Tour in 91. But this time we actually got to get into the music a little bit specifically from that show. And he kind of gave us a little bit of that comparison of the dead scene and then coming into the fish scene. He talked about the freshness of the fish scene not just at this show, but overall in the early 90s. Kind of an escape from the Grateful Dead scene that had really kind of become this mainstream cultural phenomenon. And he also talked a little bit about some of the darkness and kind of the underbelly of the scene, whether it was the Grateful Dead or Fish. And that had been a little bit modeled in Merch Table Blues. There was a band that had a cult following that turned out literally to be a cult and a little bit of a different conversation than what we've had in the past but still you know we're definitely sticking with that we are everywhere theme that this season has kind of been all about yeah it's an amazing theme actually i wish we would have got into it a little bit earlier but you know some things you know don't speed up as fast as you want them to we had to learn how to podcast first Well, yeah, (laughs) that's true. But we're always learning that every time we record an episode. What's funny about that conversation with Peter is that he actually talked about the sepsis, you know, the diseased part of the Grateful Dead, which I remember towards the end. I thought the conversation was really introduced not only by his book, but also what he had to say about why he kind of escaped that scene and went over to fish. And everything was fresh. 
I really like how he shed a light on coming from like sickness to light or darkness to light, whatever, sickness to health. I'm not really good at comparisons. I told you that. <laughs> but I really loved how he shined a light on that. I thought that was interesting because we haven't talked about that yet. You know, going to concerts is really fun. But hey, kids, be warned. There's bad people everywhere. And in these scenes that we have been a part of, you know, there's something to be said about warning people or illuminating that type of dark side. Everybody likes that. There's murder shows all over TV. It's like you can't get it. The first 48, whatever these shows are like. So there is that element. And it's not just beware, but it's also interesting. People are intrigued by that. I mean, what? Like nobody's ever heard of Agatha Christie. Sure. You know I mean, they're murder mysteries. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy stuff. So I'm more of the Encyclopedia Brown type of murder mystery that's cool i mean you know i like this too i always got them wrong i could never guess what was going on <laughs> when i do read it's mostly nonfiction, so i you know I, I haven't read a book in a while and the last book i read was about the dude that played c3po so anthony daniels <laughs> actually no i mean i read merch table blues yeah but before that, it was it was the C-3PO book. Well, after talking to Peter, it was certainly a positive conversation. I mean, we had great music to talk about. That was just a phase of the conversation, but an interesting topic to explore a little bit just because, you know, some of that stuff is not very well known. We're going to do a 180 on that. And our guest today, man, I'll tell you what, Skinny, if you want positivity, this is your guy. I thought you were going to say 360, so I'm glad you said 180, because I always go 360. Well, 180, because 360 puts you back right where you were. Where you were. <laughs> I know. Thank you. <laughs> I, I will uh, make an uh, allusion to an episode that we've already recorded that has not come out yet, that um, 360 is also a sailing penalty if you are a racer. (laughs) Anyway, today we are, again, continuing that conversation of we are everywhere. And today's guest is a teacher, first and foremost. We are excited to have a teacher uh, once again on the podcast. This is our second teacher that we've had. Brian from Attendance Bias joined us. He is also a teacher. There's just something about this scene that, that attracts teachers. Maybe it's the summers off. But anyway, this guy is is a beacon of light on the fish Twitter scene. So if you are a regular Twitter poster in the fish corner of Twitter, you definitely know this guy. Matt Famertime Campbell is joining us today. And Matt is a founding member of Wook Plus. He is involved with Free, which is Fans for Racial Equity. And he is, I think, probably one of the first people that followed the Stub Me Down account once we kind of dipped our toe into the scene. So it gives us... True, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, right? It gives us great pleasure to welcome in Fammer Time to Stub Me Down. Man, thank you so much for being here. We have been looking forward to this one for a while. Wow. <clears throat> again, I'm, I'm choked up here. I, You know, again, you guys, that, that introduction is... I. I I hope to to live up to at least half of 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 that. So I again, I appreciate that so much. And um, yeah, no, that is that is so kind of you. And I'm so excited to be here. 
And yeah, I'm, I'm proud to be a, a long time, long time listener, follower, subscriber. What else can you call it? There was cult friend. We were talking about cult. It sounded like there's some cult vibes earlier talking about we don't want to get too far into this. Um, but yeah, no, we. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> Lovers. No. OK, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. But yeah, no, it, again, just appreciate you guys. And again, appreciate that introduction. And, and so excited to talk to you guys today. So. Well, we're excited to have you. And I just know as somebody that doesn't necessarily respond, but lurks in the Twitterverse, you're just a beautiful guy. Like the, a lot of the things that you did, the Music Mondays, and I would see those and um, just your responses. And like, how do you remain that positive in a world that may or may not exist? <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that's legit. It may not be real, and that's okay. If it ends up being not real, sure. I mean, we can at least say we knew it, right? I mean, we, we saw it coming, you know? So, and I think you guys are touching on such incredible kind of theme here and this concept of light, dark, light. Like, we've, we've kind of, in this scene, you kind of go through these roller coaster of moments, and there's, there's kind of micro those things, you know, that, that happen kind of and might be smaller, and then there's these macro type things that happen and, and sometimes it's the bands doing sometimes it's the scene sometimes it's we just kind of go through these moments and so kind of for me when I first got on there I think I was like anybody else that first gets on there and you would dip your toe in in all of it right you might try to troll and then I started and I, I think there's there's all kinds of folks that are kind of great examples out there too you know of like and, and you just start to kind of filter through you know and kind of see them kind of rise to the top in some ways like you have a choice on there you know to be anyone you want to be i mean it really is something that it always is a little perplexing to me the choices that people make a little bit you know and oh uh, yeah all the time dude all the time right and, and and myself too i mean don't get me wrong and like i said i i fall prey to old ways and and i also to just being human as we all are on there you know and so i think and if you post a lot then you're gonna have good moments and bad you know i think that's that's part of it but i just kind of made a conscious effort to say okay i'm just gonna choose the light if i don't choose the light then I'm going to at least hopefully make it a worthwhile moment to do that. Or, or if I feel, cause I think that's the other piece of it is that if you're kind of the curmudgeon on there, if you're the, you know, if you're that you start to get really quickly kind of filtered and tuned out in my mind, because I, you just, again, everyone's expecting it, you know, and everyone's and maybe, maybe us, you know, kind of shameless fluffers. And I'm, I'm not afraid to say that that's probably who I am. If, if there's a spectrum, <laughs> Co-signed. And I'm co-signed too. I'm just saying you're what you're speaking to is a common trope is like the troll. Yes, there's troll or fluff. You like you there's like there, that's the spectrum, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no way you can always be on polar opposite sides of those things, right? Like I don't know anyone. I mean, I, there actually there's a few Maggie, I don't know if you know Maggie, Magcast, incredible. She's a, I'm, I'm I can't wait to talk to her about this rail situation that's come up and the change of this policy that's been floating around. It's oh, crazy that just got released today. Yeah, yeah. Right. I I've yet to find a a post or a moment where I've seen a bit of negativity out of her, right? She's just that type of person, but I think 
for most folks, I think it, you're going to find yourself on, on each, you know, like there's no way to be always positive or always kind of negative. And, and I think if you, you can choose to try to be one, you know, and then, then I think you fall, end up on the right side of it by the end of it, you know, at some point, if you're at least making conscious efforts to be as positive as you can on there, you know, and yeah, so that's, I think, what where I finally fell on it. And that's like, a, that, I mean, that that's a process, right? I've been on there. I was just posting today I, I to, to some friends in a group chat that it feels like I, we were telling stories about things that I, I swear have, have happened six, seven, eight years ago now, you know, on there. And so you start to realize how long you've been on there. And so, again, it's, it's, an, it's an arc, you know, and, and I'm thankful that I've gotten to a point where I, I think the best conscious effort as I can to – to be seen as a positive person, you know, on there. You make a good point where if you make a conscious effort to remain positive, the concept of my devil wants to pull me down. And so if you generate that negativity, then it negativity breeds negativity. It's wild. And that goes back to Music Monday. You mentioned it, Skinny. You know, like people, I've had many people, friends, you know, that are way more talented than I am, that are, that are absolutely incredible guitar players, singers, just incredible musicians. And yeah, I got, I got none of that, dude. <laughs> no, and well, and right, me neither. I'm, I'm like pretending to be that when I do that. Like I'm kind of parodying good, good musicians. That's basically what I'm going to go with on my videos. But they'll also say things like, I don't know how you put that out there. I'm so nervous. I'm so, you know, about what people are going to, you know, how they're going to react. And I just think like. They're going to react, what they're going to say about it. Yeah. I hate and, and, it. But on the right. flip side, like I, going back to what J-Dub's saying, like the positivity comes back to you. And that's that's in the moment when it when you like are cashing that check, right? That positivity check. Right. Because it allows you in those moments to be vulnerable on there, to say things that or do things on there, sing, play a guitar that you can't play, um, make a comment on there. Maybe that's a little bit, I don't know, just different than everyone else's. And it allows you to get mostly positivity back. Right. Like you said, it kind of draws that in. Whereas if you're someone who's always trolling, always out there, you try to get a little earnest, you know, you try to make a little remark that you're like, no, nah, this is, you know, you're going to get trolled back. Right. And it's always interesting. Like the, the real trap is to not troll the troll, you know, like just not get caught up in in that. Right. If that makes sense. It's like, quicksand. It's quicksand. Yeah, you're yelling at an ethereal plane that doesn't exist with Spock and all the Star Trek crew on it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't get it. I've had these conversations, whether it's fish, whether it's politics, whether it's music in general, just things people care about. You end up in these arguments or these kind of things. And I can't remember one time where anybody was like, you changed my mind, dude. Holy cow. No, you're totally right now. Like, man. Or, or they did it sarcastically, like I've done that many times. <laughs> People have been trying to do that to me with Character Zero and Brussels sprouts for the last 25 years of my life. And guess what? You got to air fry Brussels sprouts, man. You got to air fry them. I've had them wrapped in bacon and fried, and I will never eat a Brussels sprout. This is not diners, drive-ins, and dives. <laughs> this is not a cooking show. No, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna co-sign on that because that it Brussels sprouts are disgusting no matter what you could possibly do. There's literally no no way to and I'm a bacon guy, wrap them in bacon. You can do all that. All right. Well, just expect a post tonight that Brussels sprouts are amazing. <laughs> Brussels sprouts should have won the bracket. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, Famer, you were talking about kind of your involvement in fish Twitter. You've been around for a while. Well, Stummy Down's new. You know, we new-ish at this point. This is our third year we started during the pandemic. I was a, kind of on the periphery of fish Twitter just as a, you know, a lurker. And I didn't necessarily know that there was as involved a community as there is. And now that we've kind of gotten into it a little bit and I wouldn't say that we're a, a staple of the community by any means but we've definitely made some friends and and that has been a lot of fun but you're a part of Wook Plus so can you talk just a little bit about how that came about what the idea was who else is involved and what the vision is or was as you kind of brought Wook Plus to the table Wook Plus was something that ultimately came about right before the pandemic, interestingly enough. Weekend Wook, right, Tim, he's had the brackets going for years now, right? And it's voting on, you know, it's ran, th ran through Twitter. It's voting on various things. Sometimes it's jams. Sometimes it's Just Fish songs. He does a, a yearly Just Fish songs that just wrapped up um, just recently. Big controversy. Big controversy. <laughs> I thought you were talking to me. I'm like, who are you talking to? <laughs> I voted ghost. I love it. So I was that guy in Tim's replies, right? I was melting, which we, we always call it melting, right? As people get really mad, you know, when a song doesn't go, a vote doesn't go their way for their favorite song or whatever it is. And so I was that guy, right? And so Tim literally just put out a kind of a, an all call type thing and said, hey, I want to kind of start this a little bit, not just brackets, but it's just making content. And I want to call it Wook Plus. And it's going to be just a group of guys in the scene, women, men, all of us, you know, in the scene to come that kind of open it up. So six, six of us, I think early on, actually, we've been long enough now for I've actually left and come back. <laughs> retired and unretired. All right, Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Martin and Steinbrenner. <laughs> We'll, we'll call it retired, yes. It surely wasn't fired by any means and then allowed back. No, it, it was, you know, those things happened again. And so we said, hey, you know, let's start putting out some content. So I was kind of the historian guy, right? I'm a teacher. So I started doing these what's called one-minute fisheries in book fashion and very ironically, I guess, <laughs> because we just really couldn't fit it into one minute, they became like three minutes, right? So they're one minute fisheries, but they're <laughs> easily, most of them are three to five minutes, if not more, that we do. And so they're, and they're just little quick little moments in, you know, fish's history. Then we started to kind of produce some other things. And we, our big plan was to go on to tour that year, kind of introduce ourselves into the scene start to kind of do some filming, do some filming at Dick's. We were going to do like a Dick's documentary. We had all these kind of plans for tour. Then the pandemic hits, right? So we had to kind of completely shift what 
every bit of the vision was for the group when that happened because we were just kind of sitting around at that point and there was really nothing to get content for. So dinner in the movie started happening, right? Which was a godsend and was a blessing in so many ways, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely at the beginning too. I mean, I didn't catch them all because I go to bed at like 8.30, but still. Yeah, I mean, even though I was teaching virtually, I was like, I'm going to bed. (laughs) (laughs) No, I get it. I totally get it. And that was the beauty of it though. You could watch it the next day if you wanted to, you know? There was a level of... And it was also nice to kind of watch it live because it had this event piece to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Right. So we started to do The Lot, which was kind of a pre-show where we started to ask guests. It had a little more of a podcast feel, but it was on YouTube. So we have a YouTube channel that we run all this stuff on. So, yeah, it just is a very organic group of guys. What we found, just like I, I feel like in our conversations, you guys have found that We have put out some incredible content and we're really proud of it. But the most important thing that's come out of it is the friendships, you know, and the people that we've met, you know, on top of that. So I know you guys had a very close relationship kind of before going into this where with Wook Plus, we were strangers. Wow. That's that's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. And we were from all over the country. Right. You know, that's something we've that's kind of cool. actually talked about because now that we're a little more free, we'd like to do some, as far as pandemic wise, you know, knock on wood, we've got more kind of capability to move about, but we can't, we're so far spread out of the country. You know, we've got guys on the East coast, West coast. I'm from the Midwest. So we can't get together and film stuff, you know, so we still are kind of stuck in this. We got to film on these little skits or little things we do based on like a Zoom setting. These are now some of my closest, closest friends in the world. When I left or, you know, was fired. No, not, not exactly that. But there was some new friend stuff, you know, like, you know, sometimes it just, you know, goes there. But that also goes to show you like how close we ultimately were. It's like that fight with your with your significant other, right? Who And you say a lot of things that you don't mean and you're not near tough enough to really separate from this person because you desperately enjoy their time and love them and, you know, want to be around them. So eventually we came around to like, this doesn't work without all of us together, you know? So like more important than anything, it's been meeting those guys and then the extension. Now meeting you guys, meeting... Again, Tom Marshall, Benji Eisen, Greg Knight, all these people throughout the scene. Then there's also people who I text and DM every day are names you guys might know from the Twitter world, but aren't names, but are are like now my best friends too, you know? So it's just a... In your case, the circle's getting larger all the time. You know what I mean? That's why we had <laughs> talked about having you on. I was like, you know, this guy's completely positive and like... I'm the one that's always like shitting on everything. (laughs) Well, thank you. You know, one of the other things that, that you mentioned, fam, is that there's this component to this particular fan base that the band themselves and the, you know, if you start with the band as the middle and then the circles that kind of go out from there, the ripple effects they are just as involved in the community as a regular fam like any one of us. I no, think that I that's that. one yeah, it's one of the things that makes this community, I think, different. Right. You know, I don't think that like 
whoever writes songs for Pearl Jam, you know, outside of Eddie Vedder and, you know, Mike McCready and stuff like that, like, I don't think that they're, like, engaging with their fan base in such a way that we see with Fish. And and I think that that's another unique thing. Yeah. And then there is that that community component that you're talking about with Wook Plus. You guys were all at all different corners of the country, and essentially you had one common interest to talk about the music and then of course as the pandemic hit and then was extended and extended and extended that network that you built became more and more it's important yeah, it's really and cool. valuable and that's really I, I mean that really kind of mirrors what we skinny and i did here i mean skinny lives 20 minutes from me but you know we were living in a world where we were supposed to go see shows we couldn't do that we can't even go to like the local grateful dead cover band and it was like hey what what do we do yeah and so i i think the story right in in 50 years 100 years when it's written is that people and for us it was fish you know but sometimes and i'm sure people from the outside topic keeps coming up but like it may feel a little culty and it may feel i think it's hard to understand because it does feel like it is all about trey and Paige and mike and fish and the, again yes that's a huge part of it but right now like I'm sad that I'm not going to MSG and I'm for one. I'm so pumped for you guys. Oh man. Don't be sad. We'll be thinking about you. Come on. dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I know, but I want to see you guys. Like I want to be there. Does that make sense? But here's the other thing. I will tell you that like before the pandemic and I've got a, a wonderful group of friends that I grew up with here and some fish heads that I still travel. I'll be seeing fish with them. I'll be really excited about like, mixing these people right if that makes sense now some of my local friends you know with some of the friends that i've met you know through other means you know now and, and like i'm so excited about that now it's more about missing out on seeing people and and knowing that you know my friends are together but then i'm not there it's that fomo thing you know it's very kind of cliche now but like man it really kills on the flip side, like you're saying, I know my guy Skinny and J-Dubs are there. I know all my Whoop Plus crew is there. I know my, my kind of extended family from that is there. And like, I'm so pumped. Whereas two years ago, I didn't know a soul that would have been there because it's all my, we're, I'm sitting here in Kansas City. You know what I mean? It's all my Kansas City peeps. We don't go to MSG every year. You know what I mean? Like that ain't something we can really do. I would just know that people were there and go, cool, have a blast. You know, where now I'm literally like, holy shit, you guys are going. Oh my God, tell me all about it. You know, share your pictures, you know, and it just feels different now, even when I'm not there, you know, which is such a cool thing, you know? Right. Well, I mean, and that's something that, we always talk about when somebody's not at a show you're at or whatever, you're texting them, oh, it's this or that. Your web is kind of getting True. a little bit larger and right. not that you're a spider, <laughs> but you're doing other things too besides Book Plus, which I really love, which is this Fans for Racial Equity, free, yes. capital P-H-R-E, is it all caps? In all caps, yeah. It's branding. We got to get this branding. Yeah, exactly, right. And we're, we're working on that. Right. That's fine. Grammatically, I like when people yell at me because it's different. <laughs> and no, absolutely. Can you explain a little bit about what that's like to start something from literally ground zero? I think of GrooveSafe, which I think is an amazing organization as well. And shout out to them. Like, we love what they're doing too. And so, 
this is really, really even different than that. I felt like this was like, wow, this is a step of faith yes. to start talking about things like that, too. Especially when you're in a fish crowd that's... Mostly white? <laughs> mostly right. white. Probably, I think that it is. there has been a big shift in the last maybe 20 years or so, but fish used to be kind of... It was the boys. Oh, my gosh. And obviously, this is fans for racial equity, not gender equity, but just the idea of the homogeneous nature of what that crowd looks like. So yeah, talk a little bit about that because that's an interesting thing to take a look at with this crowd. Yeah, 100%. I, I think the interesting piece is that there's two folds of it, right? You go, okay, in this crowd, there's two things. And Groove Safe, incredible, incredible. Ashley, I've seen it with my own eyes, the amount of work that she puts in to that. She, I mean, sometimes she's you know packing in her own gear, her own stuff, totally solo. And, and I'm so excited now that she's getting an incredible amount of recognition from bands. And now it's becoming a really incredible thing. And, and yeah, she and that, that mission is so important. What you have, you're exactly right, is a male-dominated and a very much white-dominated crowd. We want to be careful because sometimes if your end goal is to say there's more women, more people of color at, at shows, I think we all want that. You know, it's almost like a proselytizing thing where you want to be careful about kind of pushing things on people either. You get in some ways why you you can't force things that aren't there but what you can do what you can do is with the group of people that you have you can affect hopefully positively the minds of the people there and that matters because then that reflects out and outwardly if people are, are at least thinking about and walking by the fans for racial equity table and they think about and they look around they go <laughs> This is a pretty white crew, right, around us. Let's think about the privilege that we have of being in this concert. I, I want you to think about it. And I mean, and again, I'm not here to um, step up on any soapboxes, but think about what we do as a scene and then think about what that would look like in other crowds, right? If we looking like we look helps us tremendously where there are many kind of you go to another maybe concert that looks it should look the same way, but doesn't. Right. And so if, if we're at least kind of getting that in the consciousness of people and they're thinking about it, I think that's important. So what what I think the coolest thing is the the more recent kind of development of what this has been is that Groove Safe and Free are community fan based groups that have organically came up through the scene and then now fish are promoting them for dinner in a movie. Free was one of the recipients. GrooveSafe was one of the recipients of the money through dinner and a movie. So I love that. Yeah. yeah. Love it. What is really cool is also seeing the band take some steps because this is not a political band. This is not a band that really ultimately likes to rock the boat, very similarly to the dead. And our scene ultimately has never been the dead. The dead played some Black Panther shows. And I think we sometimes we go, the dead wasn't political. And I, I, I think that's also... No, oh, they they were if you saw them in DC. I mean, it was all they had their they could thumb their nose when they needed. They so, had their thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so I think now were they? I mean, were, are they Rage Against the Machine? You know, no, right? And they no. Well, I think it was just an anti-establishment thing from when they when they came around, and it was you know it was just it was the counterculture kind of. 
Exactly. Whether they intended it to be or not, they got put into a box. But I think that they filled that box nicely based over the, the course of their career. That's a false mentality, too. I mean, when you're talking about like this counterculture, I mean, listen, after the Manson murders and everything, counterculture was frowned upon from that day on. <laughs> There's the light and the dark, right? Right? There Uh you go. Light and the dark. Right, there you go. Again, it goes back to that really interesting concept of like, you know, your last episode talked about how stepping into the fish scene was stepping into the light from the end of the dead scene, right? Which was very dark, you know? And so when you go for a lot of people, when you think about the fish scene, that they don't think of light in the early 90s and when late 80s and things like, I, I imagine it was a pretty positive and pretty cool scene. We all know, again, how kind of in Wolf we're going to talk about kind of how things got different. And now when you look at it, you go, man, I do think 4.0 in this era that we're in is is kind of that upward trajectory, right? Which is so exciting and so cool. And I also think the bands, in particular Fish, embracing groups like Free, groups like Groove Safe, is saying to the community that don't just be out there and dance around all the time. Like, you know, like it's good, go out here and get a release, but like, let's also use the collective power we have to have a, to force a little bit of change and hopefully positive change in the world. Man, you just answered the question I was gonna ask, cause I was gonna be like, <sighs> what do you want these groups to do for everyone else? And you just answered that question. So It's a consciousness, and it's also, I, I think there's direct action you can do. I think there's certain things that when you listen to people of color, when you listen to, to women, and when they're at these shows, they will tell you. And this is, this is like a, an avenue in some ways to hear those stories, to think about their experience. Because I will tell you, I felt like I'm a pretty enlightened guy, you know, and I feel like hopefully, jeez, I can't believe I said that out loud. <laughs> but I just think, I, I hopefully feel like I am someone who's open-minded and thinks about you know these things if that makes sense and i will tell you that before my experience with groove safe and really before my experience with free i looked at the fish experience and most concert experiences as a oasis and a like a haven from that type of behaviors that i knew existed and i i actively worked against but i saw fish scene as something as an escape from that. And what I realized very quickly was that many women and and many people of color do not feel that. Now, my guess is many times when you talk to these people, they will say, sure, I mean, is it better than maybe other places, right? But is that what we want? Is that what we want it to be? You know, we want it to be the most welcoming and the best place possible, you know, for everyone. I just keep my hands off people, if that makes sense. Dude, I say that every day at my job. (laughs) keep your hands to yourself it's like the first lesson you learn in school don't touch anybody keep your hands to yourself but here's our community's thing though we know this right like we're very touchy and we're very which is okay in the right setting here's what happens you're walking by that person because you want to get by to your people right there's a way to do that there's a way to do that that's not creepy probably have the best intention and you're not trying to be creepy but i want you to think about all those times when we probably have been and never thought about it by putting that arm like 
in the wrong place. Like, you don't need to touch people. There's an old Bugs Bunny when he's at the movie theater. He's like, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> exactly. There is no reason to touch people. And I think, again, we look at it as a community, I think, as a, just as a society as general. Like, we're just a little too touchy in those moments sometimes. And that's that's important to think about. Honestly, I, I, from my own experience, like, I know there have been times when I'm worming my way through the crowd to the bathroom or on my way back and you touch a shoulder or something like that, like just to let them know that you're there. And some of the Groove Safe commentary and stuff that I've read is like made me kind of think about that in a, in a little bit of a different way. And, you know, I'm the least sketchy person at a show. You don't know, <laughs> but you That's don't know. That's not true. <laughs> but you don't know how somebody might interpret even like a light, like, hey, I'm just trying to scoot by. Yes. But I mean, it has been like an enlightening type of thing because you generally, you think about your own actions and you don't necessarily consider you're just trying to fucking get back to your spot and not spill your beer, right? Here's here's what happens to folks of color that come to shows. Oh, man, it's your first show. Wow, man, I'm so, you know, and these are people that have seen 100 shows. You know, these are people, you know, like, oh, welcome, right? <laughs> like, welcome, oh, my God, I'm so, and let's be honest, too. Let's, there's other things that kind of just translate to our scene that come from just our society. Let me, oh, look at your hair. Look how beautiful your hair is. Let me touch it, you know. Let me, you know, just <laughs> be less cringy and awkwardy and think about how you're, you know, again, approaching folks. We have a very positive community, right? But when someone comes up to you and goes, oh, it's your first show, like, that's kind of rude, you know. You're kind of like, I'm not no noob, man. I've right. been to this many shows, you know. Like, why are you, why are you right. calling me a noob? It's different because our community is different, right? If you, you said that at a, you know, a Beyonce show, then it probably is this your first Beyonce show? It makes that's not going to be maybe an insult to anyone, right? Because most people are probably at their first Beyonce show. I saw Purple Rain tour. Purple Rain tour flexing. Holy cow. I saw Jay-Z and Kanye, so wow. Is that not like a... But I never would even think about the, the person next to you. Like, hey, man, like, how many shows have you seen? Like, it's, just, it's all so dumb. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's dumb. <laughs> That's what we call a what plus. On what plus, we call that a flex, for sure. That is flexing your stats on us, man. What's your show number? Right. Don't stop being gatekeepy, period, right? Exactly. Like, stop doing this. I've seen Beyonce before, just for the record. I was with Jay-Z, you know, so I, yeah. This is this is not a rap podcast. <laughs> I also think no one really wants a. Cr I mean, I think we all have different levels of attention we wanted to show. Come on, like I'm an attention guy, right? Like my, I have my name on the back of like two different footy kit jerseys, you know, like and I'm wearing them out there. Like I'm, hey, oh, hey, I'm Famer. Oh, geez, as wow. I hit my See? mic. Now that makes me jealous. See, that makes me jealous. Yeah. There's other folks that just want to freaking come to a show, right? And don't want you yapping about, oh, man, welcome. It's your first show. Like, they're trying to, dude, I've been waiting, you know, to hear Glide for my, you know, for 10 years now, bro. And, like, you're talking to me about welcome, welcome to the show and shit. You know, like, I, so I think. What do you mean, Glide too? <laughs> I saw that already. <laughs> Uh, 
Guide two. <laughs> guide two would be the one you're really waiting on, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a flex. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. There's more flexing. Jeez, this guy's out here flex flexathon. The good intention piece is there, which is also awkward and cringy. And that's the part that, like, you go, they have to put up with. And it's, it's a shame. Women, people of color, whatever it is. But I would also say there is the element that is actually very ugly and is very bad, right? And you've seen a couple incidents, whether it's at the Gorge. Um, there was an incident. Meriwether Post have had, had an incident. Meriwether Post, the incident there is really what kind of started free. Um, in some ways, and so kind of was the impetus to starting it. So, like, there's actually been really bad incidents when it comes to, for, for females, you know, or males, you know, when it comes to um, physical touching or, and again, there's been racial issues that have been not just good intention-based, right, if that makes sense. They've been actually very, very bad intention-based. That's the thing I think that we we kind of are easily fooled into because our experience doesn't look like that and doesn't feel like that and is so far from that right where we go man it's such an escape from real world and it's this utopia just if we if all of us go that man it's not a utopia for everyone and if like my experience can do anything to help it be more of a utopia from everyone right then what does that hurt it do it doesn't hurt at all and quite frankly i want to say thank you for kind of being a beacon for those type of okay. processes like people don't process those things people don't think about them it's all knee-jerk so you know one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on too is to talk about these type of issues that you know we we're familiar with them you know we just we talk with each other or our families with those and i think like what you're saying is the action being in action uh, whatever that looks like for you as an individual, right. I think is a really beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of you for making that beauty in action. That's, that's a difficult thing for people to do. So well, thank you. We appreciate that, man. Well, that is incredibly kind. If you are not familiar with the premise of Stummy Down, Skinny and I have been friends for a long time, and we have seen countless shows together separately before we were friends. And what we do here is we pull a ticket stub at random. We use that show as a jumping off point to talk about the music, our friendship, the funny things that happen along the way, what it is about that live music experience that keeps bringing us back year after year, show after show. And so today we are fortunate enough to have Famer stubbing us down. We're all kind and all, but you know, Famer, you talk about this all the time, but we're here for like one other reason. <laughs> Do, I mean, are you aware what that reason is? All right, Famer, are you ready to stub us down today? Let's do it. All right, man, what do you got? All right, I've got Fitch, 2-20-2003, Allstate Arena, Rosemont, Illinois. Now, where is Rosemont? It is a suburb. See, I want to be careful here because I want to respect suburbs in general because I, I've always been a suburb kid. So I want to be careful here because Rosemont, I'm sure, is in a wonderful city. Or town. <laughs> Or town, or... Is it yeah, in Chicago? Totally Chicago, yes. So should probably be saying Chicago, but it is listed as Rosemont, Illinois. 
and I really made sure I didn't say Illinois as well. I really wanted to make sure that I did not say Illinois because I teach. <laughs> You're lucky I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, it, I teach that right in some some social studies and geography stuff. So I yeah, I'm I'm always like, you'll sound really dumb if you say Illinois. And so I was like, oh my god, I can't say Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> or or Kansas or yeah, what's the other one? Oh, Des Moines, Des Moines, Des Moines. I'm like, I know it looks like Des Moines, but it's Des Moines. Just oh, the S is silent. That's Quesadilla <laughs> to all you guys out there. <laughs> oh yeah, Quesadilla, Quesadilla. Yeah, that you know, it's funny that you you pulled this show, Famer, because we did a show from this tour in our first season and our first guest that we had on was our buddy Billy and we did the last show of this tour the March 1st 2003 show from Greensboro great show when you look at this tour and you consider this show certainly the March 1st show everybody knows February 28th there were a couple of other shows through this tour that people would know by date right but this was the first tour of 2.0 if you think about it then versus now, so now obviously we have the benefit of however many years of 3.0 slash 4.0 that we are in. When you listen back to these shows, I am a huge fan of a good chunk of 2.0. And I saw a number of shows in 2.0, not that many. Um, I had seen, I don't know, maybe 12 or 14 shows in 1.0 before they took the hiatus. Skinny and I saw two shows on this tour. We were in Philly on the 25th, and then we were at the March 1st show. When you look at this tour now, there were a number of bust-out songs they hadn't played. If you look at it statistically, and we'll get into some of this as we get into the set, there are songs that were sparsely played in 2.0 and even 3.0 that were played a lot in 1.0. This particular show had some real nuggets because, I mean, you're talking about a 15-song show when Fish usually averages 22 to 25 songs. So you know there was a lot of jamming involved. The mindset at that time was that, you know, they were just getting back into it. They were a little rusty. They weren't that tight. They were kind of sloppy at times. They didn't remember the lyrics. And, And there are some examples of that throughout this show, right? But when you look at it now from... 2022 and we're you know in December 31st will be the 20th anniversary of 2.0 right reflection back I mean 228 is probably my favorite show that I was not at in all of Fish's almost 40 year history this tour out of the 12 shows I would say probably six or seven of them were almost top to bottom shows. And there was something special that happened in every single show that is notable now, but that might not have been at the time. Do you think that's a fair assessment of, of this this very mini tour, but very impactful tour in the history of the band? Wow. Yeah. I've heard and I've thought about this tour so so many times. I've heard it summed up um, many times, and I think that's the best time, best I've ever heard it summed up. I mean, that's incredible, and that's exactly right. And I think the hindsight of it is important here because I think I was kind of an early adopter, and obviously back then there was no social media, 
but there was the internet and there was plenty of message boards and groups and fantasy tour was a thing, right? Again, want to talk about quite, quite a cesspool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Still if is. Wanna, if, if sometimes we go, oh, Twitter, Twitter is bad. Sometimes go to fantasy tour, right? Go to fantasy tour, spend your time on there and then realize how just wonderful that, that Twitter is. No, thanks. I'm going to, I'm going to throw some enzymes down that tank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so it was very kind of, you're exactly right. The early kind of results on the 2.0 era were pretty poor. I think people really were concerned. Hampton was fun and it worked and I think people had a blast, but again, it was kind of one of those we're back, but when we step back from it, we're going, yeah, there were some moments they had to start over some things. It was just a little sketchy. Then yes, you get into this February tour. It was like they were back, but they didn't prepare to be back. It kind of felt like, cause I was at Hampton and it, it had that kind of energy. Right. A hundred percent. It was like, oh man, we're going to get what we were getting before. And it wasn't quite that. And I think everybody was very excited that they were back. Right. That was the piece. But then it was like, well, this isn't what I remember, though, you know, which took some time. This show in particular was very, very kind of panned. And I think just like what you mentioned, it has some vocal flubs. It is very jammed out. I mean, if you take the encore out, it's 12 songs, right? Because it's a three-song encore uh, in that way. So you basically have a 12-song between the two sets. It's 12 songs. Right. And that just, again, wasn't really 1.0 fish. Now, the only thing I will say is that if you really listened and spent some time in 99, you go, well, some spots in 2000, you go, okay, like they were really kind of getting there with their sound. This is just like that sound on, you know, all the human growth hormone, you know, like they were just like on steroids, you know, like so they just really sold into that kind of late 99 sound, you know. And so, yeah, it was a, a shock, a culture shock, I think, to a lot of people. I wrote down in my notes, which you made a great point, that there was vocal flubs quite often and then that led them into kind of just jamming. I've always called this jam night, ever since jam night happened of Baker's Dozen, I call this the 2.0 jam night, right? Because there's so many songs that just, and I really think him flubbing the lyrics to Simple ultimately was where he just finally said like, and to me, that's the hilarious iron irony of it, is that he, he messed up Simple, the, the literally the word itself is Simple, then the lyrics, I mean, once you know simple, like, how do you really mess up the lyrics? These are not, I mean, think of all the fishes, com complex, you know, lyrics and simple of all things. The, yeah, it's the not lemons, cavern. Right, exactly. <laughs> lemons out of lemonades here, or, or vice versa. I always mess that saying up. But he, he, I think he said, I'm going to stop singing words now because I'm messing up. I cannot get these words right. So I'm just going to jam all night, right? So you get these incredible jams in that kind of, you know, late, second yeah. quarter you know and then all the way through the third quarter fourth quarter of the show you get just jam 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 you know because again i just don't think he's down for saying words <laughs> man you're already ready to talk about the show i was gonna ask a couple of questions <laughs> i know I'm sorry. Well, he was just like, man, I mean, J-Dubs just hit all those incredible points. Like, that was exactly, but. Ah, he's an asshole, isn't he? He's like, uh, he, 
He didn't tell me we were going to start talking about the show before we started know, talking geez, about the show. Come on. All right. Well, that's my fault. We can go back to 2.0 vibes. Is that I what over-prepare for these things. <laughs> I think that this show is the quintessential 2.0 vibe, right? I don't disagree with that. I think it's really good. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you would describe 2.0, you would say that they were maybe technically a little bit loose, <laughs> right? <laughs> they they were vocally a little bit unsure. Accurate. One jam could incorporate, you know, a super noty solo on Trey's part, but then four minutes of like the quote unquote whale call type of tone. And like you would that. get all of that in, and we'll get into that in an, in a couple of minutes. But you would get all of that in one jam. And so, where we see now some of these different tones in the band is certainly incorporating different things. And that's one of the things that's so great about Fish, right? Is they are constantly evolving and changing and bringing things in. And I think that the 2.0 era, when they had those first four shows, the MSG show on 1231.02, and then those three shows at the Hampton Coliseum that were not spectacular. They were rough. They were a band trying to regain their footing. But then when they played that 214 show, I mean, that's a really good show, right? And then you get into, as this tour starts to stack up, this is the fifth show of a 12-show tour. And, I mean, this is probably, for me, one of, and we're not in the rankings here on Stummy Down, but this is probably one of the top three or four shows from this tour and maybe of the 2.0 era. Absolutely. And that's where, again, it's kind of an expectations game in some ways, right? I think Fish, just like anything, right, is an expectations game. And I think folks' expectations, right, when they were coming back, were just through the roof. And I think you hear, it in, these, you hear it in the recordings, in the audience recordings, or, or even on the live Fish recordings, where you just hear incredible roars for every song. A song is played, and you're going like, why are people absolutely losing it that they're playing Gaiuti right now? And you go, well, yeah, people kind of, you know, people like Gaiuti. It's not like, I'm, no, it's because they haven't heard Gaiuti for three years, you know, or whatever, and, you know, for a couple of years, and, and they didn't think they might ever hear Gaiuti again. And now they're hearing Gaiuti for the first time as they're coming back. And so it just kind of all kind of clicks in. But that's where you get this very, I think, Fish has, has kind of curated good and bad, like this fan base that's very critical and it's such a funny thing because as much as we want change we go man we want them to really mix songs up we want them to mix set list up we want them to jam different songs like eh, when they really change stuff people freak out people absolutely lose it they oh my god any halloween set from the last seven years <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like people, honestly, Trey's vocals right now in 4.0. Right? People don't like Trey's yeah, yeah. vocals. Oh man, he's what's all this? Fishman's sample pad. Right, or the sample pad. There's just when they when, nothing wrong with that thing. I know. See, I had oh, man. I had. <laughs> don't all right. Don't get off on the sample pad. There, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I shouldn't. I had my moments with the sample pad. There's there's a time Time and place for everything fish is all I'm going to say on that. If you're listening, I know you listen to stub me down fish. Just a time and place. I, I think ultimately what we have and what I think 2.0 has kind of hit this renaissance time 
um, at least in its its thought process of, of the at least the way it's perceived in the, in the scene. And it's exciting and it's great because I think for a long time it was looked very down upon in some ways for good reason. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it killed fish. I mean, fish was not a thing. And if if fish did end on you know Coventry, right? You go. Oh, I think we we maybe have a a little different look back at 2.0, right? We did have a different look. I mean, we went to Coventry, and when we left Coventry, I was like, "That's it." We did. I mean, we did. I mean, when we uh, we were driving out, I was like, "Oh, the split was good, but it's so bad. Man, they're done. <laughs> it was so bad. You know." Listen to the Coventry Jabu. There, you know, you go back and you look at it from a perspective of the band being back and healthy and playing since 2009, we're lucky now. But, I mean, I probably didn't listen to Coventry until they came back. Right. It was. And then when you go back and you listen to it, you're like, oh, wow, that was a really version of this. Right. There were there were some nuggets. As an experience, you know, it was it was depressing and sad and all of that stuff. But there were some musical highlights that once you disconnect yourself from the emotion of the band Same. ending. No, it was it was very funeral feeling. You can appreciate the music, but and so I feel like that is the theme of 2.0 from this side of history. In February of 2003, we were just excited that they were back. We were catching a couple shows. Yeah, we had a crew going down to Greensboro. I mean, that's a that's a big trip right. from Baltimore. I mean, you know, that's five and a half, six hours. This felt kind of fresh and new, and just a sense of excitement that they were back and. And then this tour filled in that musically. Yes, exactly. And they played well. I mean, I think there's a lot of 2004. I, when you become a 2.0 Stan, okay, you, you. <laughs> the kid, he's a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you, when you bring in, when you bring in those folks, there's a lot of folks that are going to stand for 04, right? They're going to stand for 2004. Now it's hard for me to go there, you know, all the way. I think there is some underrated moments and there's some underrated shows, but I think it's fair to also say that there's kind of a split in 2.0, right? There's there's 2003, which I think is solid. I've, I'd put winter 03 in like very high up in my rank, not, not that I would rank, but think of as great tours in fish history. Yeah, I would put that up against like the SPAC 04 shows that we covered 619, I think of like, they were doing some stuff that I didn't realize until on revisit. Like Famer and Josh want to bring back the uh, hula hoops with like the lights in them. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah, man. String cheese style. Bring it all back. Here's the thing. You you know, you're talking about 2.0. You're only talking about 66 shows. Also a thing, right? 22, 24 of them were in 2004. So, I mean, it was in 2003. We saw Philly twice that year. We were in February and then we were in November. We went to, right. I went to Miami and caught a couple shows, three, I think three of the shows on their, their Miami New Year's run in 03 into nice. 04. And there was that, they're back. We can see a lot of shows. Things are cool. We, I mean, Cam, Skinny, your favorite, you enjoy myself, 730.03, right? So, yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. you know, we yeah. know that, that that year was good. And then mm -hmm. 
2004, I think, is really what, especially if you're if you're not a fish historian, you know, you you associate 2.0 with the demise of fish and the negativity that surrounded the final tour and Coventry right. and people not being able to get in and and it left a bad taste in their mouths and that colored their impression of every one of these shows in the 2.0 era maybe aside from a couple that are very highly regarded like the Nassau show on 228, right? Once you roll up your sleeves and you get into the music from a comfortable perspective, they were fucking good. It's the goods, man. It's the goods. And I think the trolls are there. But I've had many people say, oh, yeah, let's go back to the era when Trey was all messed up and the band was, you know, and I'm like, that's that's not what we're, I don't think anybody's saying that, right? I think 100% thrilled and happy and so feels so blessed in some ways because we appreciate his art so much that Trey and all the band are healthy and okay. And if that means that that changes somewhat of the approach at the music, then that is a fair trade for me. I am, I am so happy that I get to go see them this summer and I trade that for every whale call that they made sure. in 2.0, you know, and every moment that I love that is so obviously, I mean, we called them, we called them oxy jams, right? Or oxy hose jams. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a pretty time. And I think going back to your, your previous guest too, and thinking of it in the terms of this is when the scene went dark, right? So you go, okay, early fish, you go, okay, yeah, man. Like you get out of the dead scene, you go, man, this is wonderful. Like it's smaller. Everybody loves each other. Like it's got to where the dead scene ultimately got there. And right. in a weird way, kind of it being smaller made it worse because it wasn't like, okay, it wasn't really about gate crashing and some of the things you saw like with the dead scene, it was just literally a kind of a walking zombies you know, to each city, whether it was the fans and whether it was the band. And I'm not, I, I want to be careful because I don't, I, I'm not, there's no judgment here from me because I was one of those zombies at times, you know, and I, I was, again, felt the effects of 2.0 as much as anyone did, you know. And so I, I get kind of this, you know, understanding that no one wants to go back to that, right? But can we also, appreciate the art that came out of that because if we can't then i i think nobody's better i i always think about that in terms of that way too and i've heard folks that have really gone through the recovery process and things really go to a point where they go okay i really know when i'm okay like when i can accept that i was i was actually not a horrible person you know like i i, I did some good art during that time i did i did some good things i was i was it, it's okay to kind of accept that that's not you know but at first you kind of have to very much go that's the bad guy I'm the good guy now, you know, but I think that's, I think as a scene and as, as I think Trey's kind of hopefully there, I think too, I don't want to speak for him, but like, you know, it, it's just this moment of going, you know, for me, it's always been, okay, that's where we were. It's kind of a celebration to go like, look at what we came out of. And there's some really cool art. It could have ended a lot worse. It could have ended oh it like the Grateful Dead and it could have had that. I mean, it could have been the history repeating itself, but it didn't. And it I, and, but and, it didn't. But it didn't. And that's what I'm saying. Right, exactly. Yes, exactly. We had to set the tone, set the mood. This is what you gotta do, man. You can't, 
It's it's well, I was gonna say four play, but I've already been in a yeah, yeah I've already crossed know. enough lines. Yeah, here. you guys Let's are bringing me down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now we can comfortably explore the music. <laughs> <laughs> My God. All right. So we are talking about fish from February 20th, 2003 at the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, Illinois, or Chicago, if you prefer. The first set opened with Rift into Rock and Roll, Gaiuti, Driver, Waves into Simple, and they closed the set with Gotta Jabu. So this is, again, you mentioned this before, fam, this is not a long show as far as number of songs and skinny and i've talked about this i'm the i'm the nerd and look at statistics so fish for a typical show would average 22 to maybe 25 songs including an encore this is a seven song first set that's not a lot of tunes now when you break it down you got a couple of 10 minutes and then you've got a couple of 20 minute versions almost i'll tell you what to start the show with i'm sorry you can start the show after i say this the gates on this show open up like the Preakness stakes, like when the bell rings and the gates open. So it is like right away, ping, and there's that bell, and then you're waiting and anticipating. I'm sure I wasn't there, but I looked at the venue and it's small, and the gates just open like that, bam, with the rift. Right. So sorry I cut you off, Josh. <laughs> Right, and then the lead, and then the the horse that's leading trips as they stumble over a couple of <laughs> yeah. musical phrasing, and I don't think there were any lyrical issues there, but it was there was a couple of points where it felt like a little bit sloppy, like uh, you know what, maybe we're still trying to figure, remember how to play this particular tune, and exactly. I think it goes. It's an ambitious choice. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's an intricate. I, I yeah. think. For one, like you mentioned, Skinny, the, the crowd roar when that rift hits is is absolutely insane. And there's so many of them throughout the rift. Like no one, I promise you, including myself, no one in the venue had any clue that they were botching this rift. But they but on on re-listen, it's a little botchy. Okay. Then they follow with the rock and roll, right? Which to me is actually nails and they really hit it. And I want, I wrote down, feel yourself tread <laughs> or sorry, feel yourself paid because I've been a big, we talked about earlier. I'm, I'm a big fan of Trey's um, new kind of very much feeling himself on the vocals page. Just again, it almost feels like page is page kind of sees that Trey's a little hesitant a little struggling a little bit words wise and a little bit with like kind of just getting into the show and Paige is like okay buddy rock and roll time and i'm just gonna absolutely kill it for you and yeah he just absolutely tears it up you know so i i think it's a fun start there's a full band concept yeah there's a full band concept i think to this rock and roll coming in here i i yeah so good it's short but fire yes and then gaiuti right i wrote down especially after you know a little bit of the rough start with the rift my life was saved by rock and roll and here comes Paige screaming in life was saved by Paige McConnell in this scenario but yeah seriously and first of all I mean a rock and roll at the beginning of any set first couple songs of any set is gonna be a fun component to get things going here 
And we look at it from this perspective. And again, one of the things we have to do, especially when we go back this far to take a look at a show, we're talking 19 years here, where was this particular song at that particular time? And rock and roll was still relatively new to the catalog. This was the 17th version of rock and roll. They debuted it on Halloween in 98 when they did the Velvet Underground Loaded set for their Halloween costume. And so rock and roll now you feel comfortable seeing it in, in certain places. This here really after I think the rough scrapey start with the, the rift, this rock and roll kind of got the show going and really engaged the crowd. And you can hear that. I listened to both the odd and the soundboard versions and the crowd was was definitely pleased to hear this one. Yeah, I was gonna tell you about the rock and roll. We've been talking about this this season. Bammers, the second slot. And we're gonna come up at it and again in the second set. There's something to be said about the, the two slot. And I'm I, I'm going into We call that the two hole. <laughs> oh, okay. Can I call it the slot? And what's the problem? <laughs> That's not okay. I'm thinking about this two slot, which is rock and roll here, which is like a really powerful like anthem. It's a rock anthem, and a lot of times the bands that I would see, they would never do that in two, three, four, five. You know, maybe the end of the set or the open, you know, even the Grateful Dead, which we've just talked about um, in episode two this year. It's like, you know, where things are placed. And we talked about it again with Jake Jalvet. You know, where things are placed in a set and why that's so interesting. So Yeah, this rocker fan, that's a great point. Like it's it's and it's a it's an arena, right? So it's very arena rocky. But it's really it's it is funny because there's many times where you go, you almost are ready for him to say, All right, thank you, good night and it's the second song. You know what I mean? Like right. they really don't kind of have that natural placement of like and honestly it's back to that career arc in some ways like to me a good show kind of does this I, I, I think that's the way they look at it as opposed to this you know it's not that kind of here I am doing audio or sorry visual stuff <laughs> on an audio format it's a roller coaster is the way they kind of look at its sets as opposed to kind of starting from one low point and building to a peak are there peaky songs that typically happen at the end sure but they're not afraid to play a rock and roll which most bands would, there's no way you would put it in the two slot, you know, in the two hole. You're closing out a set with that, right. And, you know, and it's a 10 minute version and then they get into a Gaiuti, another 10 minute song. Right. So now you're starting to see a couple of extensions here. This is the third version of Gaiuti that they played in 2.0. So Gaiuti gets a little bit of play, although in 66 shows, they only played 10 Gaiutis, then love. since, if you want a statistic and you're a Gaiuti fan, since 2009, they've only played 27. So Gaiuti has kind of, when it started, it was uh, um, a lot more frequently. Like at every other show, yeah. Yeah, basically. And right. then 2.0, it becomes a little bit more infrequent. And then since the breakup... 3.0, 4.0, however you want to categorize it, you're only talking 27 versions in yeah. 
let's see, 2009 was 14 years ago, 13 years ago. So, you know, it's interesting to see what they were playing when they were playing it and how, and that's one thing, especially when we get into the second set, like what were, what songs were they playing in 2.0 that you were actually, you ended up being lucky to catch, you know? And I think that that's, that really makes you know the set list analytics interesting from the nerd side of it. No, I love it. I'm loving all this. Like you, yeah. See, I always think of myself as a little bit like that. But then when I really get around the real stat stat nerds, then I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm not a stat nerd. Like, I sort of know when I saw a show or like sort of some of the set lists. Uh, you know, <laughs> like no, that's. I walk. O- I walk away. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, I'm fascinated by it again. And I I, I think that's a great point. And I, that, that goes back to what kind of makes 2.0 fun as well, because there was a lot of originality in where they were placing songs. I think 1, 1.0 got a little formulaic, like in some ways the dead did. I, I mean... I always hear, for me, I can't complain about The Dead because I never saw Jerry, like I never saw a Dead show. Um, it's my biggest regret in my life. Time, so you. there's no complaining about The Dead for me, like any moment. Like I would have seen the worst version of Jerry. I would take that in a heartbeat, right? Because I just never saw him. Now, skinny. Shh. <laughs> it got to come. That's one of the complaints I hear about um, the dead was that they came became a little fun. like you knew what was going to be the encore, you knew what songs kind of were where they were going to fit, and it became like that. That's not as fun, you know. In some ways, it's kind of being excited because you see something in a weird spot, you know, or it's a song that jams out that doesn't normally, you know, or something like that. Like this guy, Udi, is really... Or a bust out that they haven't played in, you know, 150, 160 exactly, shows. Exactly, exactly. So, and this guy, Udi, and I think Guy is always rare enough for me that I'm always excited to see it, and this was like, this fits too because I just think it's it's a very, he's a, this is a very angry pig. This guy, Udi, in particular, is very upset. Yes. Very evil. You know, Skinny, in interesting note about Gaiuti, it debuted in 94 and it debuted at the Stabler Arena. Oh, in Lehigh. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. That's right up the road from us, Bammer. It's uh, Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I gotta tell you guys, like, Gaiuti is one of those songs, like, the construction of it, it's really hard to get behind. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an uncomfortable song. I, I, was, I was waiting to, like, pour my negativity into the show and well here that's, it is that's the moment yeah no and i get it i get it i think it's intended to be a little bit off-putting you know yeah right? yeah i think so yeah 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 but I, I i get it i just think if you happen to be someone who and that that's what goes back to the reba ghost thing that we've been going through right it's that concept of composition over jam over you know like style style like feel over like yeah everything yeah Gaiuti is like a fugue or something I think I think that's a thing but like I think it's like some sort of really kind of orchestra setup because I you know you'll hear Don Hart I think that was one of the first you know songs that he you know arranged for Trey he, he had kind of written it as an orchestra piece in some ways, and so that's why it almost doesn't... Sounds great with the orchestra. Oh, my God. The orchestra version is insane. And so, yeah, so you... Yeah, I'm sure, because there's a lot of fills. Like, if you... Or, orchestrally, is that a word? Like, you, there's fills that 
the violins or the cello or whatever are going to fill in for you. But they're, listen, there's a lot of songs I'm not a fan of. It's not uh, this one is not on my top no, ten. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> this is okay. This is good. What about Driver? Driver, you can't. There's no hate in Driver. Okay. I love Driver, and Waves is actually like the Gaiuti for me. So I would love the Driver in the set. So I'm kind of like I wish I was here, because you would get this from me. You'd be like, oh, wow, he loves this. Oh, shit, he hates it. Oh, God, he loves this. Oh, shit, it's terrible. Oh, he's never heard of it, or he doesn't the know coaster, it. Buddy. Or, like, he, he can't fit his funky self in it. Oh, and then simple Jaboo. Right. So, like, the driver I like because Josh used to drive me everywhere because I didn't have a car. I lived in the city, you know. So when we would go to shows or whatever. So driver has a special place in my heart. But Waves... It doesn't. But then the rest of the set is just amazing. And then they start to really, really, really go deep. And now there's jam charts for like the end of this set. And Josh, I I would be waiting. I probably would have gotten beers during Waves. No, you would have gotten beers during Driver. You would have gotten beers during Driver. And you would have missed a statistical anomaly because this was one of only two Drivers played in all of 2.0. No, probably at the end of Driver. So Driver <laughs> becomes a rarity in that moment. And I have a soft spot for Driver because, as Skinny said, I drove him around a lot, and our friend J.O., who has previously been on the pod, but Driver, for me, hits because of, I've always thought of the, you know, the inner monologue, right? The the narrator in your brain, and so Driver always hit me because I'm like, okay, now I'm going to walk to the kitchen, and like, I'm thinking that in my head, it's the Driver, and it's also a statistical anomaly that there were only two during this time period, and I so I look at things you know again i'm looking at kind of the where you would expect to see this song out of those shows and where you would expect to see it now the waves now we're getting into new material right so fish had dropped round room right before they came out at msg on december 31st 2002 right it came out at the beginning of of december so now you've got a couple of new songs that they're starting to filter in, and Waves is one of them. This is the third time they've played it. So they've only played eight shows in 2003, nine shows in 2003, and they've already played this a couple of times. So one of the things we'll see, especially as we go through and then we get into the second set, like yeah. these tunes from Round Room, there's this promise that they've created some new music that is actually kind of good. But if you think about where people thought about it at the time, nobody likes new music when it is new at the time. And Waves is a tune that fits perfectly with that. And people thought the lyrics were cheesy and, you know, the sentiment was misplaced and... If you look at Waves now, you go to Atlantic City and they play on the beach or you're in Mexico at Riviera Maya and there's a Waves like there's a certain symmetricality to it now that didn't exist. That's not a word. And I (laughs) that's not a word. And I still I don't get it. We talk about this all the time. I'm not a hater. I just, you know, I don't know if it's the construction of it. 
it doesn't hit your ear right. I understand that it doesn't hit your ear right. And that's, I mean, that's... That's the weirdest thing to explain to people, though, about fish, isn't it? Like, you're not going to like everything when you go in. You're going to be like, ugh. Or, oh, my God, it's so good. Right? It's isn't true. that such a, like, an incredible thing? Like, you go, okay, if I hear, if I hear a Matchbox 20 song, right? And, and somebody says, they're a big Matchbox 20 fan, you should check out Matchbox 20. I could go on Spotify, I could go on any streaming site, click on any Matchbox 20 song, and I will get the gist of Matchbox 20, right? Like, I, if that makes sense, like, I'll know who Matchbox 20 is by clicking one song that I just happened to randomly find. All right, what's a Matchbox 20 song? <laughs> well, it's 3 a.m., I must be lonely here. Like, you have to kind of, you don't know that All one? All right, stop. Oh, they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I do know. I, the, I know a, it. We all know the, and it's a hot one. I know that seven one. inches from the midday. Uh, yeah, that, oh my God, we saw him. Oh shit. Yeah, Rob Thomas. We okay now. We <laughs> saw him with Santana at Merriweather years ago, and once they started playing that, I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So there you go. But. You, Okay, you you could know Rob Thomas by even just the song he did with Santana because it sounds like a Matchbox Twenty song, you know. So part with a good with a better guitar player, right? Sure. So you go okay, like so you you say hey, I like Fish, man. Go check out Fish. And what what if they click on Driver and and they and you go oh okay yeah I'm, I'm dealing with Fish. But then they click on Gaiuti, you know, and they're like what the fuck, you know, like this is not the same band, you know? And then they click on Gotta Jaboo and it's like this funk jam, you know? And you know, this funk song and you go like, I just think that's the fun part of them, but it's also the bad part, right? So that's why the Twitter melts happen and that's why the fights happen over some just ridiculous arguments and things that happen over the band because <laughs> right. there are gonna be things that, that people, like I love Let Me Lie. People hate Let Me Lie. Oh, I love that song. Why, who hates that? Fuck you guys. <laughs> my wife and I love that song, so everybody out there can kiss my ass. <laughs> God bless you. Exactly. People don't like that. I've always said Secret Smile got that. Speaking of 2.0, they would play they would play Secret Smile in the encore and then play nothing else. And then shocker, everyone hates Secret Smile now. You know, like it's not a bad song. It's not an encore solo song. And, and so, you know, the only thing I will say is that that's, that's kind of really the fun part. And when you get into this simple, like, and you get into this jabu, I think that's really, you can look at that dichotomy there even, right? Because the simple is this kind of bleeps and bloops. It's this, like, very machine-y, you know, you get all the 2.0 whaley wild sounds, the just dynamic, weird stuff. And then the Jabu really falls much more into like a funk, like this play that funky music white boy type jam, you know, that's like very... They fed it into a poor evaluation by the fan base. Yeah, that's, you go, okay, that's almost like, that could fit into a 97 show, right? You know, and you go, oh yeah, that fits right in there, you know, where this simple, you know, oh, no, that's 2.0, bro. I think that's one of the things, you know, so you've got the, the last two songs of the set, you're talking about 40 minutes. I mean, this is basically two thirds of the set here, right? The simple, I mean, everybody loves a simple, right? This simple here has the elements of, I mean, 
if I was going to be like, here's what 2.0 sounded like, I would say listen to the simple because you have the, the beginning part, you've got the structure of simple, they flub the lyrics, right? And then Trey gets into kind of a, a, a little bit of a kind of a super notey part of the jam, right? He's playing a lot of notes. They're kind of, you know, up and down and exploring. But then the second part of the jam is much different. It's a little bit darker. You get into that kind of whale call sound. And, and it doesn't diminish the jam. It's a beautiful piece of music but it really showcases everything that 2.0 was in 18 minutes, 19 minutes here. It's a great point. Yeah, it really does. The good and the bad, right? It's not like... Yeah. Right, and it, right. but then you get into the jabu, which the jabu, I mean, if you're talking about a 20-minute jabu, you think there's going to be some sort of exploration type two. This is straight ahead, and Gordon does not stray from the jabu baseline for the entirety of this jam, but yet it is a raging version of Jaboot. Yeah, I, I wrote down so beefy. It's just beefy to me. Like, it's just got a lot of meat, you know? Like, it's 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 Well, I, and I wrote down lots of notes if you didn't like the <laughs> whale calls from Simple. <laughs> exactly. So there you go, you know? And it's just, right, I, it's just you're on the 2.0 ride, right? And, it, and, and that's where I think it depends on the kind of person that kind of art you like in some ways it, it kind of boils down to that right it really does it boils down to are you the kind of person who wants to go to a movie and not really know what's going on and you feel a little uncomfortable and you walk out at the end and you're like what just happened or are you a person that wants to like cheer at the end of the movie and feel uplifted and excited and that's a good movie to you you know or hey i'm that guy that wants to go on that you know I'm, i think i'm artsy fartsy here in my midwest world you know so i'm like man yeah i like all the dramatic stuff honestly when you look at early 3.0 that's to me then the criticism of the early 3.0 right as you go dude they're playing like greatest hit sets they're playing 14 songs in the first set then they're playing another 12 14 songs in the second set and it's like like you look at the set and you go oh man that looks like an incredible set but then when you hear it it's like these very kind of generic eight minute nine minute versions. it's like what you would expect if you went to see like any pop act and like they're gonna play whatever they're playing at the time and it's not really an engaging and, and then right. weirdly enough when 3.0 really hit a stride I kept kind of feeling to myself like, well, this sounds like 2.0 you guys are describing, you know, when they started to kind of really step out into really stretching into jams, you know, and people are like, man, I love those five song second sets, man. And I love those, you know, like 25, 30 minute jams, man. That's what it's all about when they really just get out there and, you know, spacey stuff. I'm like, what are we talking like? Everybody was mad as hell in 2003 over this. <laughs> So it's just an interesting <laughs> dichotomy of what we've kind of gotten to. And then when you get into the second set, then uh, to me, this is one of the most perfectly constructed and At like second sets on paper. And then when you listen to it, it, it just <laughs> delivers, you know. Now, don't knock the cradle off the bow. Okay. We have not stopped talking about the first set. And you're already, you had like three babies. <laughs> I was trying to talk about the Jabu. Uh, <laughs> I do that. Oh man, I'm sorry, Skinny. I gotta give you time, man. Yeah, I gotta get you in here on these jabu. This is a good one. Three teachers, dude. Three teachers. I know. <laughs> oh, you guys are the worst. All I was gonna say was that I've heard some really good jabus, and 
I've listened to this Jabu probably for like two weeks in prep for this show. And it's not only that it has like these blues riffs or things that are breaking down in it. And Trey and Paige are obviously the stars of the show, but it ends the set. Like to have a Jabu like that for 20 minutes and a set. That's all I wanted to say was, you guys were talking about the construction of it. Like, I don't give a shit about that shit. It's 20 minutes I did this. No, and I think you're making a really good point on that. The kind of the construction of this set, it does kind of revolve around where we're at because that's a great point. Like, Jabu, you would almost go, okay, what's gonna be the throw in at the end of this set, right? They're gonna take about a 15 minute, 14 minute walk on this Jabu, and then they're gonna throw in a cavern. You know, they're gonna throw in something. Susie Greenberg, right? Zero. A zero. You know, you're gonna get something that's right. just gonna be like, hey, fun, we're, we're, we're jetting. No, they just locked into this Jabu. And I think you hear it every once in a while nowadays, but they're so much more locked into that mode. Like they, they just know when it's time to go off. Like you've, you see Trey, you've seen Trey make a couple of those motions, you know, of like, let's go. Or like, you know, you see him, right? You, you see him do that. But a lot of times it's just, they just seem to know when to do it. What I feel like in this jam too, and you hear it in the Golgi and you hear it in the Simple too, where there's like moments where the band isn't sure like, okay, are we ending this? Is this jam over? Are we about to kind of round it out? And then you just hear Trey and or somebody just go, no, 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 we're not, we're, you know, here's another couple minutes of, of going and they just kind of keep going. And so instead of having that, it's kind of like Josh on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> me, me too, dude. Come on. And so you get to this Jabu and it's like, man, we forgot our Susie Greenberg. You know, we forgot our, you know, cavern because we just were locked in on this Jabu so much that, oh man, look at the time. We're rolling out. I'm kind of pro that, right? Like I'm, I love certain kind of throw-in So I mean, I love, we all love Susie. I'll take the six. Yeah, I'll take the six more minutes to... Right, but it just feels like, man, you could, okay, you could throw in that Susie, or you can jam this Jabu for six more minutes. Like, mm, I'll take the six more minutes of Jabu. <laughs> you know, it's just where I'm at. <laughs> well, let's quickly review the first set from Fish, February 20th, 2003, at the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, Illinois. They opened with Rift into Rock and Roll, Gaiuti, Driver, Waves into Simple, and Gata Jabu closed the first set. Those last two tunes, almost 20 minutes each, he had a couple of tens with the rock and roll and the Gaiuti. So definitely a stretched out feel in that first set. The first set and the second set really just paired together so beautifully for any fish show, but certainly a high quality 2.0 show. Wow. If we're stretching out, let's do some yoga. Set two. Tweezer into punch you in the eye into fast enough for you into seven below then a pebbles and marbles to close the show the encore gogi apparatus anything but me into tweezer reprise which is like a, a little short into I, I was surprised to see the uh, alligator there but I'll take it I love that you call it an alligator God bless you Oh, I love it. It's not a segue. It's not. <laughs> Which way's the alligator pointing? You know, I love it. It's eating the anything <laughs> but me, but which I love. Yeah, I gotta tell you, this show, and especially from second set on, 
it's almost like a whole nother night of music. I could have said like after set one, that was really good fish. But set two is another entire show in and of itself, plus the encore and starts off with a tweezer that is just completely badass. And then I was talking about being like septic, like underneath. I was trying to find like, yeah, you know, words or synonyms that described like around the six minute mark. I said sludge, dude. Sludge is great. Sludge factory is what I literally wrote down at one point. Cosmic soup. How about that? I'll take that. This is the first tweezer back for many of us, you know? And so like, yeah, I mean, there's just this level of energy in the room. It's so good. It also, I, mean, I don't want to get to the ending too much, but the ending's interesting, actually. I think it's, it's worth pointing out also because it's got that slow down ending, right? Which is something that they really don't do anymore um, and really was kind of a tweezer 1.0 type thing. And they kind of hung around with it in early 2.0, but then it kind of goes away as well later on. And it, so I think really 2.0, I'm curious, like, I've always wanted to know when was that line when they right. finally stopped kind of doing that slow, you know, the slowed down tweezer riff to end tweezer, but that they have that in this and it's just, it gets very overshadowed by 228's tweezer, right? Which I think is absolutely fair. This was the precursor. This was the precursor to the 228 tweezer. One of my favorite things to do is Pepsi challenge songs. I like to listen to back to back versions. Famer dude, you and I need to like sit together in a basement with a stack of CDs and a CD player one day, dude. Holy shit. I mean, you know, we'll never make it out is the problem, but you're right. We, we do need to do that 100%, brother, and we will someday. So it really, just like you pointed out, it it, it builds, it. if you listen and you Pepsi challenge it with the 228 tweezer, you can hear the similarities. You can hear where they go, okay, here's a thought, and then they just take that thought and, and run with it in 228, you know, where it's still just kind of a inkling of a thought, you know, in the 220 version, you know, so I love just taking, if you really want to kind of do a little thought experiment of like, listen to both of them back to back, and you just, it's so easy to see the, the differences in some ways, but also there's so many similarities. And it's not, I, I think it's fair to say that the 228 one is, is better, but who cares, dude? And here's the thing, like all books have prologues, I know, bro. I know. Like all books have prologues. And Love that's that. what Exactly. So that's what I got exactly, from it. Exactly, man. Like, oh, this is a huge prologue to 228. They were they were definitely breaking something down in here. Like and that I'm not the guy on this podcast that does all that. That's JW. But you know, <laughs> listening to it. And everybody talks about the Nassau Tweezer. I'm like, well, you know, there's a story to be told before the Nassau Tweezer, and I think it's this story. And they were breaking down a bunch of shit. It just kind of got a little messy sometimes, and it wasn't where... And then the Nassau Tweezer, of course, is like, that story's been told. You're speaking my language, brother. This is so good. I'm exactly. Love that. There's some similar themes here. There's some similar themes here. Fishman is heavy on the crash symbol in both versions, right? He's killing that crash. He's killing that crash. <laughs> the whole show, really. He right, yeah. I mean, and that I think that was a you know, especially this this tour was like, hey, I'm fucking fishman. And he's fucking slaying. You will hear me. You will hear me. <laughs> in both this and the Nassau Tweezer, which the the Nassau tweezer is my favorite tweezer that I was not at. But this tweezer, 
you can hear how they tried some things out, like Christian just said. They tried some things out. Trey is playing a very heavy, dark, kind of distorted hook. And then you've got Paige circling in underneath that. And then the the build to the peak. I mean, this is a you know at least a four-minute build. At around the 15-minute mark, you can feel they're starting to build this peak, but it still has that heavy dark theme and tone and then by the time they hit the peak around 18 minutes they have spent the last three four minutes getting you ready for this drop how do they structure it to keep you engaged throughout the, the two right. my favorite tweezers was the msg tweezer on 12 30 19 amazing version extended but these different layers and these different sections where they've re-engaged you at different turns but I feel like they were more conscious of trying to get those oohs and ahs during 2.0 because that was kind of what was expected of them at the time and now at 3.0 they've kind of gotten back to those things being more natural or, or they really kind of learned, right, they've learned to kind of perfect it. Like, it's almost like, okay, you know, the formula right. was there, yeah. right? And so you go, okay, and you know, in 1.0 and early 1.0, you've got this group of people, and you're only gonna be so big in some ways if you can only really hit those like jazz head Zappa folks who really just wanna hear every note played very fast and perfect. Right, you're gonna hit. You're gonna have a certain amount of crowd and a certain group, and and that's a. You could have a wonderful career doing that. Then you know we we make later on in 1.0, 2.0. You start to get this like, okay, like you said, we're gonna try this new formula out that wasn't. Let's be honest, was not well received in some ways. We're going back to we really don't like change that much. Were they really that great at it yet? Right? Maybe not. You know because they just it was something new and and. It also was in the conditions, honestly, that they were in. Is as you right. know, it seems that 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 would that's a tough thing to do when you also have a lot of life stuff going on. You know, they really kind of changed their art. They changed and there's a lot of things going on in life. It was just a lot of things happening. And then by 3.0, you get to this like, okay, healthy place. You know, hopefully, you know, for the most part, in in their personal lives. And then you get what worked in 2.0, and you see them kind of work through that recipe right still an early 3.0 right of like what what is it that's us you know and then to me right you get that like perfect marriage now where you've just got this like okay like people like it when we play fast machine gun style so we'll do a little bit of that people like it when we extend out and have some jams and really stretch things out we'll, we'll do that you know and and then what we'll really do is kind of take people on a journey through the show, you know, and like you said, we're, we're building them up to have these moments, you know, as opposed to almost like, show instead of showing off all the time, you know, because in some ways, like to me, that was a lot of early fish, you know, was just, we're gonna play fast and we're gonna play, you know, weird. And it's almost like- Try and blow your mind. Right, exactly. We're just, we're literally, which is when you're an up and coming band, that's what you do, right? But now they're just so comfortable in their skin you know, it just feels like they've got it right, the formula. That's interesting that you say that, man. I'm sorry to cut you off, because no, there's like only one noted tease in this entire show, which is during the Jabu, which is that San Jose tease, which you know, Trey plays all the time. I mean, he probably plays that every song, and I'm like, what was that? Of course he does. <laughs> yeah, no, we always joke about that in Wood Plus. That's like our favorite one. I have never written that down in any set book in. 25 years of seeing fish. What is that? 
Right. There's always a Dave Energy's guide, Dave's Energy guide, and San Jose Tees. And uh, I don't even show. know what that is. No, of course not. <laughs> I know Call to the Post. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's the second horse uh, reference you've made, by the way. Yes, uh, my daughter's a big horse fan. Really? Keep going. Okay. Well, Nobody gives a shit. Oh, I love that. <laughs> then you get punchy in the eye, right? So this, to me, is what I love and going back to our, our conversation about setless construction, right? Because to me, you know, 90% of the time, you're going to find punch you in the eye first, right? That's going to be the opener, opener of the set. Sure. Then you're going to get the the two hole two slot the tweezer the something you know that's going to be a big hitter right and i love this flipping of that right and again goes back to him kind of experimenting and doing some different things in the construction of sets and so when this punch you in the eye hit to me it was just again like this the the amount of energy in that room and you know coming from the stage was incredible at that moment you know so it was just like this and it goes back to what you were saying too skinny of like this is the first two songs of the set what are you doing playing these incredibly fast energetic like could easily close sets you know songs right off the bat you know so it was bananas well and this was the first time they had played punch in 2.0 too so like everybody is gonna be jumping on that and dancing around the salsa man i mean Right. Once you once you look at it from the statistical perspective, they only played four punches in 2.0, so four in 66 shows. So if you caught this, now you've caught a rarity. And this is this was what I was talking about before, where you you take a look at some of these these songs and the statistics of where they turn up in 2.0 era. You might expect that you would see a few punches in a tour nowadays. It's a different mindset based on what they were playing at the time. And that, I think, is an interesting an interesting way to look at these 2.0, especially this first run, because there were a number of bust-outs spread out throughout that entire tour. Yes, not just Destiny. Destiny's the one that's known. Well, right, right Destiny and the Soul Shakedown. But, you know, there were some others that, that, that had had not been really present in fish set lists and so it was it was interesting to see that and after punch they get into fast enough for you talk about a, a you know a statistical anomaly of a song they played this in this was the second one that they played in 2.0 but fast enough for you has only been played 12 times in the 3.0 4.0 era so like how many people have seen fast enough for you not many the last time it was played was in camden it's on an 81 show break right now so great t-shirt by the way with the millennium falcon if you've ever seen it in the front <laughs> and on the back it says fast enough for you so that has already been taken people but that's a great t-shirt i actually the guy i saw him at man music theater he had it, i was like you should make the Millennium Falcon a little bit, you know, bigger. And he was like, fuck you. <laughs> he gave him some notes. He gave him some notes. And this, I love you shirt, but here's, I got some notes on it here, actually, that, I, you know. Well, it was too small, fam. It's the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, know? you got to get it right, man. Exactly. Come on, dude. It's the focal point of the shirt. Right. And can you talk a little bit about this? Because we talked about how, you know, cradling songs 
you know, cradling sets, and obviously things are being cradled here. And three songs in, like, what what does that fast enough for you mean? Well, to you, you know, not what does it mean? What's it mean to you, like, as you're there? Yeah, that was the feeling kind of there, and, and I, I remember thinking it very, very much so, like, in the moment, as well as, like, it's always been one of my favorite things because just how fast this set starts and then you then you literally play fast enough for you and it's almost like a question mark you know i mean fast <laughs> enough for you is not it's not it's not a question right in that song it's it's more of an exclamation it's just saying you know i wasn't fast enough for you or, or this isn't nearly fast enough for you. so to me though this is almost like a question mark it's like okay we just played tweezer we just played punch you in the eye is that fast enough for you guys you know what i mean like is that is that because and when you look at it kind of more historically, you go, that's a little bit of the problem, right? And that was the argument and, and the issue with those really diehard 1.0ers was like, they're not playing, you know, they're not playing fast enough and they're missing notes and they're not hitting every single thing, you know, and like. And then it becomes and then it becomes the band trolling the fans a little bit. Exactly. Right. You know, where they're going. And I'm like, and we know they do that. Right. So part of me goes, Absolutely. this was. I just feel like this was very purposeful to throw this in here. And I will also say that just like with any kind of ballad in particular, and especially in 2.0, man, I love those ballads from that era, but it's you, you never know what you're gonna get, right, when they would play versions. Now, this is a 1.0 ballad, but it is incredibly well played in this 2.0 show. And it's just, I mean, it's nails. There's only, you know, there's some old Fast Enough For Yous and stuff that you go, that's like, there's some, I remember one from like 93, like there's a Columbia, Missouri. I just remember because it's from a Missouri show that I was not at, you know, like it's a Columbia, Missouri or something, but there's this like Fast Enough For You that's just like perfectly played in notes. And you go, well, that, this one could have fit back then. You know, I mean, it is just a really nicely played Fast Enough For You, which isn't always the case. Well, I'm sure I'm a hater, but I listened to it today. And because I was like, I have to listen to the ballad parts so that JW <laughs> doesn't get mad at me for fucking skipping over. <laughs> I don't get mad at you for anything, bro. <laughs> yeah, geez. I, I, can't, I can't imagine JW getting mad at anything. Seriously. Oh, you maybe, don't know. Maybe the Yankees. So we've, we've, been in, we've been in a lot of car rides together, bro. Yeah, uh, the driver. Yeah, I know. I'm going to call yeah, you yeah. driver from now on. I like this nickname. Right. right. Okay. And then, you know, when the argument's over, it's like when somebody goes, take it easy. <laughs> I like that. That's a good, that's a safe word. Is this your safe words? It is that a is safe a safe word. word. It's like yeah, popcorn. Take it easy. <laughs> no, so fast enough for you, they... Really, after that, the rest of the show is bound up in the seven below and the pebbles of marbles, right? I mean, you're talking for another 40 minutes of music here to close out a set similar to what they did with the first set. And again, seven below, third time played a traditional 2.0 tune. They had played it on their first night back at MSG 1231.02. They played it a, a couple nights before in Vegas, and this is by far, obviously, out of three versions, the longest 22 minutes, and has a lot of layers to it, and it, I mean, this is one of those songs where 
you hear this and they had played waves in the first set which was also a round room tune also new also the third time they had played it but there was a clear effort on the part of the band to incorporate this new music and to demonstrate what kind of vehicle that tune could be and this seven below i mean people love seven below now but again you go back to when you are in the moment at the time in 2003 and people received this well because it was an extended jam but they might not have necessarily enjoyed the song itself right you know what i mean Every song can be a vehicle, right? But you might not like Soul Planet even though it goes 35 or 50 minutes. You might not like Everything's Right if it's a 7 or if it's a 20, right? Here, I think it's kind of the same thing with 7 Blow at this particular time. Now, I think you'd be hard-pressed to maybe find somebody who didn't necessarily like a 7 Below because it's kind of developed a history but this version i think is the origination of the history of this tune to me what's interesting is playing it in the same set with tweezer here right because it was almost like okay this is this is our new tweezer right this is our new okay it's kind of a short there's there's not really a whole lot to the song right there's there's not many there's literally two lines to the the vocals we're gonna stretch this bad boy out pretty much every time now they started kind of you know, a couple smaller versions, but but they played them in really important spots, right? That that New Year's spot, you know, for Seven Below. I mean, that was the New Year's, that was the gang, you know what I mean? Like, it was the thing. This third version, there's a version in, from the Gorge, um, that's the fifth version. It's almost like they're saying, hey, this is this is the, the jam vehicles we're going to play, and these are the ones we're gonna do. And you're exactly right. Like, it took time for people to really settle into them. And I think, What's really also the sad part is in some ways these songs, I did a listening project with Seven Below, where I listened to every every Seven Below there was. Okay, so I've done this with the, with Golden Age and I've done it with, with um, Seven Below now. I did Reba from 93 to 94. <laughs> yeah, the, when they were doing the Reba project. Shit, how many Seven Belows are there? How many were, how many were there? There are, I think, geez, now it's, I'm, I'm far enough away now, 40, 40, 48, 48 is all. 49, sorry fam, 49. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. It, it just like off the top of my head, I don't even, I don't know, 49. I'd be like seven. <laughs> <laughs> no, but here's the crazy part. Here's the crazy part. So here, to me, here's the stat that's weird. The only reason I know it is because I listened to all the golden ages too. There's like 57 Golden Ages, 58 Golden Ages, and there's only 49 Seven Belows. Now that to me goes to show you that, wait, wait a minute, because Golden Age is only a 3.0 shot song, right? right, right. It was not played in 2.0. And a cover. And a cover. And there's, there's literally like 10 more versions of that than Seven Below. So what's happened to some of these songs, these 2.0 songs in particular, they've been kind of forgotten, to be quite honest, by the band in particular, right? Like, I've heard many people kind of make the argument maybe that that's, that's kind of the problem with 2.0, is like even they are saying they don't really care for those songs somewhat, you know? But it's like, it's almost like they had that hiatus after they put out 
what I think are great records. Some people wouldn't agree. Round Room, you know, um, Undermine. These these records. It's a great album. Yeah, I love them. And then they go on hiatus, right? And so, and then when they come back from hiatus, is it like, oh, let's play all our old music again? No, they put out another records, several more records. They start playing other songs. Everyone really still loves Tweezer and Reba and, you know, all the old school songs. So it was almost like, we're going to play Tweezer, Reba, and then we're going to play all these new 3.0 songs. And then it's like, what happened to all the Round Room songs and the Undermine songs? That's what makes me think about Pebbles and Marbles, because that Josh used to laugh at me. He's like, I thought you said you didn't like that song. I'm like, I fucking love that song. And then when Trey brought it back for Beacon Jams with the... Uh, with the strings like i've been so i listened to this version a bunch of times and not only that it's a set closer (laughs) it's got this humongous like circus top fucking jam in it you know what i mean plus i love the lyrics you know what i mean it's just like there's something really cool about it 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 just reminds me of myself it's my favorite fish song I, i yeah i agree so now we also don't say favorite on the show because I can't. Well, I just can't decide what I like. <laughs> I know what I don't like. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. Right. It's, it changes from show to show, week to week. I know. Week. It's hard. We've all been there. I, I'm sure. Yeah, you can find me on tape saying <laughs> yeah. at least five right. different songs are so my favorite. Th- that's too, the only dude. reason. So, but. You know, on YouTube, so after listening to this, I'm like, I'm going back to the YouTube Beacon Jams, and it's ridiculous. Oh, it's so good. It has that, like, Eleanor Rigby-like strings. Yes! And then then he hooks into the electric. You know, so... The song is so great. Yeah, I'm quite enamored with the fact that, like, 17 years ago, eight, you know, 19 years ago, they were doing this... And then maybe I wasn't hip to the jive. I mean, it took me like almost 20 years. And now I'm like, it's crazy. Well, I think, you know, you're also looking at it like, look at what we have seen our own selves from when our fandom started and how the band has evolved since then. You know, and you look at a song, take us from here in 2022 and you drop us in 2003. And the way I looked at it was, especially after this show, you've got the waves in the first set, and then you've got the seven below and the pebbles and marbles, and these are new tunes, and they they end up being features of this show. And you think, man, you know, there's there's some promise here in the music that they are bringing forth in this new era. Now, obviously, in February of 03, we had no idea that the band was on short time and that the problems that existed at the end of 1.0 hadn't been resolved and really ended up just carrying over into 2.0 with some sort of you know exponential degree because of how big the band got in the time that they weren't playing you look at those songs and you think you didn't really have any comfort comfortability with them and now you look at them and you're like, wow, these these versions here at this particular show, I think, you know, built the structure for what these tunes would come to be even beyond this period. 
you know, and that's and that's a t- that's a tough thing. And I, you know, what I Christian and I talked about this on our last episode when we talked about the Grateful Dead, and, and the songs that they were playing were like '80s and '90s vintage in '93. And it's like here's a band that had been around for so long, and they had reinvented themselves. They had new players come in, but they they had a similar sound. And then it was like an old band playing new songs with a sprinkling of what they used to be kind of mixed in and here feel like there's a little bit of a similarity there now obviously the grateful dead didn't take and everybody still got pissed off (laughs) right and everybody was still mad about something but there you know the grateful dead didn't take a break like fish did And, you know, maybe to their detriment, who knows, but the idea of the reinvigoration and then kind of what the fans saw relative to what was actually happening. I mean, we talked about that 93 Grateful Dead show, which was a great show. And you're like, oh, man, man, they sounded really good. And that was awesome. And Grateful Dead's going to be playing for years. And you listen to this this show from February of 03, and it's a similar mindset, right? The band sounds great. They're bringing in new material. They're playing. They sound like they're having fun. And... You know, 16 months later, the band has played their last show, at least at that time. And we're in Coventry with Mud Socks. <laughs> well, and I think that's what's so interesting about now, I think, too, and, and the little bit of a difference we have just in our, our community and just in, in the world in general, and just the kind of the knowledge we have. I think I had lots of people that were maybe going down the same road that some of the band were at that time, right? And, you know, I was blessed in some ways that I had different problems, but maybe not not those. And I had many people kind of saying, I, I'm concerned, right, about the band and, and their health and kind of where they're at because they were kind of seeing some of themselves in the band, if that makes sense, you know? And, and so they could recognize, right, what I couldn't really. So for me, like, I'm like, they sound great, man. What, what are you talking about? Like, they're, they're back, you know, everything's good. And then there were a little more realistic folks going, like, you know, there was still some trepidation, even in those, you know, early times of, like, man, is this going to make it through? And then, then, again, it just becomes kind of, it just snowballs by 2004. And then by Coventry, you get to a point where, like, it's hard to even remember the feelings of 2003, right, and the feelings of this show because it's just kind of gone so quickly. It's like a hangover. You're remembering how bad the fucking head hurts. Right, right. It, oh, we're going to bring Skinny down again. We don't want to bring Skinny down. <laughs> it was a tough time. and I, I was telling Josh, I think, when we were at Coventry and, and when we, we've discussed 04, and 03 and and i think you know i saw the writing on the wall but i was so new to it you know i only saw like five shows in in 1.0 era whatever and you know then they took a hiatus i'm like what the fuck is this a hiatus and then they come back and i'm like sweet i'm 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 all in (laughs) and then they got problems again and i'm like fuck you i've seen this before yeah a lot of folks had a hard time coming back 3.0-wise, right? A lot of folks, I, I know a lot of my friends that really couldn't really get back into the band until like 2012, 2013, when it really felt yep. like, okay, they're back back because we've already been through this where you guys say, hey, you're back and you are not back. And actually it makes it 
Now, I'm, again, I'm, it's a blessing and I'm thankful. That's when I saw the most shows. Uh, you want to be, it's just like any relationship with anybody, right? Like with any person. Like, And it's so deep with us, with this band. And that's the hard part of explaining to folks, right? It's like- It's commitment. It's fear of commitment. It is a very personal relationship. And when they hurt your feelings once, you know, it's shame on you, man. You hurt your feelings again, right? It's like, okay, man, like- What'd you sign up for? Right, right. You know, I'm going to be a lot more guarded in my fandom and, and, you know, just fully giving myself back to you. Jeez, this is actually really a bad... This is getting worse. (laughs) And you know what? And listen, honestly, as you listen to yourself and you're like, holy shit, I just said that out loud. I mean, think about it. We're talking about going to concerts and like your average normie is like, yeah, I go to a concert and like no. they don't fucking no. spend hours analyzing a concert that they saw 20 years ago in any sense. And I think that's what makes us different as a community. I think that's what makes this music different. I think the Grateful Dead obviously set the stage for that but i i feel like again it's that it's that idea of you don't know unless you know because you've seen it and it goes back to that we are everywhere because there are a lot of us in all different corners who have seen it and sometimes we start a podcast about it or sometimes you know we're just that random person that has seen some shows and yeah, that's just a, a sense of enjoyment that they don't necessarily feel they need to share with everybody else. Yeah, and and you dive into the encore, which it starts off with our favorite fish tune, Golgi Apparatus. Yeah, ticket stuff. And then yeah, and then <laughs> which there won't be anymore. Not for too oh much. Which I, I'm done. I'm so. You know what, Famer? We're going to have to have a conversation with you about this because this is bullshit. Like, I know we're not supposed to have paper or whatever. You know what I mean? But, like, this ticket list thing, I, I'm not so sure. Dude, I had to sneak into night three of Deer Creek because my freaking phone wouldn't pull up. And, again, I'm, I'm a little boomery with my phone. I won't lie. And I'm not always get the best with it. But I couldn't. I had no reception. The best thing was it's, it's sponsored. The venue sponsored by T-Mobile. I have T-Mobile at that time. Could not get shit for reception. Couldn't get my... <laughs> Dude, what? They have a pink shirt guy? Like, <laughs> hey, I'm a T-Mobile representative. <laughs> Fucking assholes. Right, I couldn't even find him. So uh, I'm sitting, I'll, I'll shout out my guy, Andy Michaels. Andy Michaels is standing next to me. I appreciate him to death from Jump Radio. He's standing right next to me. He's just calm as can be. I'm losing it. I mean, I'm, I, the fact that I might not, that's the kind of scenario for me that I don't get much anxiety about much, but not getting into the fish show when I'm like right there is about as like a freak out scenario as I can have. I mean, I'm just, it's just meltdown and I'm effing with my phone and these poor old ladies are like, just step over there, guy. You'll figure it out. And I just, I can't do it andy's andy's trying to help me like he's being so calm he's like you'll be all right man we'll figure this out we never can do it so i got my buddy who i have my tickets on the phone so i have two tickets on the phone they they send me to one place and i got the wrong place and then they send me to another place and when i look over at the other place right the line is huge i gotta walk through all these people so when i look over to my right here's the gate 
and it's right there, you know, like, and I just looked over my buddy. I'm like, Chris, you know, hey, let's go, let's go. And we just walked right, we walked right in and never buzzed our ticket. Oh, uh, well, that's okay. But you bought it. <laughs> but I had a ticket, right? I want a gate crasher. I want to be very careful that I bought a, a ticket, right? And, and I, but it didn't work. But so go back to what you're saying, Skinny. This is ridiculous that we don't just have a piece of paper. That we can hand to someone, they can say, yeah, that's a good ticket, and then... And your whole entire story reminds me of Anything But Me, which is another round room tune, which is, <laughs> you've become an island oh. in the hazy world surrounding you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there are promises of better days, unless you have a ticket stuff. Exactly. And they were right across, just across that fence, and no one will keep me from that. Here's what I will also say is that I will find a way to get into a show, if especially if I have a ticket. If there, that's one thing. I'm pretty. I'm not always resourceful, but I will get into a fish show if if I'm supposed to be in there. But yeah. So and anything but me. Oh my God, is such an incredible ballad, a perfect 2.0 ballad to me. Um, it very rarely. It's great. It's so good. It's really really good. I, you don't hear me say a lot on uh, this on this show. <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful. Yeah, it's great writing. Well, you know what? Let, let me tell you something, fellas. There have only been 12 versions of Anything But Me, and it's currently sitting at a 357-show gap. So if you, if, you, if you catch an Anything But Me... It's rare, man. That you add that into your uh, statistical cap because the last time they played this was August of 2011. So definitely yeah, not. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm here for. Oh wow, those are great stats. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's an amazing version, by the way. It's really, really good. And like, go back and listen to it. Oh, beautiful. But you know what, Famer? When we talked about this offline family you know you mentioned that this was a song that was struck by its placement at the outset and so it was going to suffer because of where it showed up initially and instead of it being a soft landing spot after a big jam in a second set or tacitly placed first set tune in between a couple of heavy hitters here it shows up in an encore spot after Golgi where people are thinking, ah, oh, Golgi, that, you know, maybe a Golgi tweet prize. They drop it here. It's certainly not offensive to me, but I think it suffered historically from this placement. Yeah. You know, Agreed. it had only debuted, you know, in January. So, it, you know, I, I think that this one took a hit because of that initial couple of versions. No doubt. I mean, for whatever reason, they decided that the best idea is to play a very small, very slow new ballads as encores, right? Which, I mean, to me, there's no, it goes back to where sometimes it's almost like they go, what would a band normally do? And then we're going to do the exact opposite, you know? And so, <laughs> you know, but when you get this Golgi Tweet Prize sandwich, then you go again in 2.0 standards, you go, oh, okay, like, you'll take that encore because it isn't like a standalone anything but me or a standalone secret smile. 
Right, and it's a three-song encore. Or a Friday. There's a Friday encore right in there on a Friday. I don't even think it's a Friday, actually. So you go, oh, it must have been a Friday. It was probably like a Monday. You know, it didn't make no sense, and it's all by itself. And so no wonder people are like, I hate Friday. Screw Friday. That song sucks. Well, yeah, as an encore for, you know, and then they just literally see y'all later after Friday. Like, yes, that would suck, you know, but in a really cool spot when you place it maybe even on a Friday, you go, hey, that's a fun little tune that happened and you know, in same way with anything but me. People are doing that about drift while you're sleeping right now. You know what I mean? It's like the same old rehash bullshit stories. Uh, you know what I mean? I know, man. And I love I love those Ghost of the Four songs. A lot of a lot of folks don't don't love the Ghost of the Four songs, yeah. which I mean, you know. I love that too. Me too. Uh, listen to In Long Lines I if anybody know. in your family passes I away know. and tell me that you're not going to cry. Like, I listen to that song and I think about a friend of ours that passed away. I'm like, you don't like Ghosts of the Forest? Whatever. I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> but I think, I think actually, if you look at a song like Anything But Me and then you compare it again to where we are now, you know, you've got these kind of Church of Trite type of tunes where there maybe there's a message there there's a spirituality there's a an undercurrent of a message the ghost of the forest tunes all had that sometimes more explicitly than others but there was this they're all about seacott yeah there was there's you know but I mean? there was this there's Just this friends. sentimentality that i think people are sometimes afraid of or reject when it comes to fish and it becomes the negativity kind of comes around that and there's some people that make hay trying to shit on the band for playing a song that says soul or talks about love or Agreed, you know crazy. some sort of life experience a death or something like that and and I think that there's you know some people that's what that's honestly that's where they get their jollies going to see the band is like uh, they played a fucking you know joy in the first set and you know I don't respect what the fuck right Right. Well, and, and here's my thing, like, and it does go back to kind of when you found the band, how you found the band and kind of what are the pieces that you like of the band. And I, we, you know, we get that. Like, so it goes back to that kind of concept of just picking a random song. So if, you know, someone clicked on foam, right. And they were like, oh, this, this is an interesting band. I like this band. Like, this is crazy. This is cool. You know, I like these compositions and thing. And then they click on, you know, joy. Right. They're going to be like, what what happened to the band, you know, that I just heard? Because the band I just heard is playing some really like it's not it's not emotional music at all. In a sense, it's more again, it's technical, technically played music. Right. And then you go to this joy. And again, for me, that's the ride that I love. You know, I, I love to be on that. And so to me, that's the beauty of them. That's why I've, I've been around for so long. You know, that's why I, I like to me, that's why I'm here because if they were just a foam band, then I could not possibly have that connection with them, you know, and it may be if they were just a fast enough for you band or a anything but me band, I, I probably wouldn't be able to get there either. You know, it's this, it's this again, every piece of them that kind of fits into this perfect puzzle for me as a band. And there's definitely songs I don't like. I it's I'm famous for not liking gumbo. Like that became a thing. I had a buddy send me a gumbo shirt. Like, <laughs> my God, dude, you are the weirdest guy ever. I love that song. I know oh. it's, 
It's a terrible take. <laughs> I get it. I know. And I said it out loud. And believe me, there we. This is when we had like ten people on the show at that time, and, and eight of them were yelling at me like I couldn't even. You know, I was just like. I don't respect you about foam because the only foam I like is at the top of my beer. <laughs> ah, I love it, love it. Famer, I respect your I respect your opinion. I don't agree, but I respect your opinion. I hate character zero. Right, see? And you don't like gumbo? I'm like ah. Gumbo oh the words, God. man. I am listen, any John John Fishman should not be in charge of writing any songs. That's my only complaint. John Fishman, just let him drum. Great drummer. No oh words. No song. No title. Dude, I cannot wait to have like a bunch of us sitting in the same row complaining and, and arguing. We'll just like take turns. Who's who hates this song? Us. Uh, that's my turn. This no words. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh my God. Well, Fish from Rosemont, Illinois, 220, 2003. Tweezer, punch you in the eye, fast enough for you, seven below, and ending the set with Pebbles and Marbles. The encore, which is a three song encore, Golgi Apparatus, which everybody knows we love, Anything But Me, and then ending it with a sick. Tweezer reprise, which, by the way, if you don't like the vibration that happens in the arena when Mike drops that bass, there's something wrong with you. You know, to kind of sum up the show, I mean, it's just all that kind of, you know, that, that you know, the Trey elbow. You know, when he gets that just elbow going and he's just looking down and he's hitting every stinking pedal that he's got and he's just letting it all hang out. Like, there's so many moments in the show that 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 happens you know and so you know and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but um it's just such a fabulous fabulous listen you know all these years later best three minutes in rock and roll i gotta tell you famer we're so happy to have you on and, and we really appreciate the conversation because uh it's been a great conversation and and we'll have to have one in person sometime soon but even though you're a kansas city chiefs fan <laughs> I can't. I mean, I understand. It's okay. It's like the two best quarterbacks, like in the league. You got Mahomes, who's one one, and I got Lamar. He's gonna get one. He's gonna get I one. I hope so. You guys are gonna get Josh one. is a Commanders fan. He ain't getting shit. Commanders fan. Like, I don't know. I don't know who the Commanders are. I know the Washington football team. Uh, are you regretting being on this show, Famer? <laughs> Not at all. Famer's regretting being like on a show that's talking football. <laughs> All the same back to you guys. Um, I, I appreciate you um, having fan-based, you know, guys that are going out there and making incredible content and um, just sh showing your love of the band, and that's what it's all about, you know. And so you guys have really carved out an incredible niche yourselves, and so I appreciate you guys. It's an honor, an absolute honor to be on here, and I am a stub-me-down stand for life and you're absolutely right skinny we're gonna do this very soon together in, in you know shoulder to shoulder thanks so much man so happy to have you on yeah dude thank you so much you know one of the things that we 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 got into this with the intent of was not only to talk about music because we couldn't see any but was you know to to make some new friends meet some people that were like-minded and uh you're you're a case of women so we're, we're happy to be friends. 
friends with you and become friends with you because of a stupid Twitter interaction and now they have you on and talk about this show has just been uh, it's been a lot of fun awesome same to you we're grateful for your time and growth of things like Wook Plus and Stummy Down and all these little community organizations that are coming out there and, and once again if you're not familiar check out Wook Plus check out Fans for Racial Equity, that's P-H-R-E. Matt's involved with both of those. And, uh, you know, let your friends know. There's a lot of good that is happening out there in our community that you might not be familiar with because we've been so disconnected. But check out these groups. Give them their support. We're, we are the community, and, and uh, the music brings us together, but what we do with that is our own. So um, thank you so much, Matt, for, for joining us today. Skinny, what do you got? Hey, listen, I, I always have to end with our ads and our people, and a lot by Primal Soup is our people. Yeah, the Lot by Primal Soup has so many different online vendors that you can go visit when you're not on the lot. Please go check them out. Next episode or in a couple episodes, we'll be talking about specific people that are on the Lot by Primal Soup, but we love them. Please go out and support them, thelotbyprimalsoup.com. Also, last shout out, Spafford was just in Baltimore, and we have the biggest Spafford fan Scott Mitchell, Fan Designs. He's got the greatest stuff. You just have to go on there and see what he's got. He's got t-shirts. He's got hats. He's got it all. And he's got stuff that you wouldn't normally see on the lot. He's got bands that maybe people really aren't into or haven't tried out yet. But listen, man, they're all good. Goose is one of them. Spafford's another. Pigeons playing ping pong. These are all bands we haven't covered, but hopefully we can cover them soon. I know I've seen a couple of them, but, you know, we'll have to see J-Dub. I, we have limited time, and, you know, again, I like to be in bed by 8.30. <laughs> wow. You know what? I'm still waiting for Scott to come up with that Release the Geese shirt, but maybe we'll see that this summer. He's killing it in the hat game, too, and you know how I feel about that. So, hey, we want to thank, once again, Matt Famertime Campbell for joining us here. If you don't know Matt, check him out on Twitter. Matt, what's your Twitter handle right now so we can uh, let everybody know? Um, I think it's Famer John Misty. No, it's it is that, but no, it's uh, <laughs> Famer. It's Famer time. Yeah, it's uh, WMC Hammer thirty three. Right, yeah. yeah, check him out. He is a beacon of light and sometimes the sludge of the Twitterverse. We are always happy to uh, promote our friends, and it's awesome to get the opportunity to talk to you. Thanks for stubbing us down today on this show. If you want to keep up with Stub Me Down, you can check us out on Twitter. We are at stub underscore me underscore down and we are also at stub underscore me underscore down on instagram so check us out give us a follow let us know how we're doing and we are always happy to make new friends skinny once again thank you so much matt thanks for joining us talking about a great show from february 20th 2003 the height of 2.0 get into your 2.0 stats if you aren't there we are always appreciative. Thanks for checking us out here on Stummy Down, and we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path. Hey, later, everybody. Hey, Famer, see you, man. We'll talk to you soon. See you, guys. Appreciate you so much.